0: The Bible reading today is taken from Matthew 27, verses 15 to 31. And you'll find this on page 1009 in the church Bibles. That's 1009, and it's Matthew 27, 15 to 31. And to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? Asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well good morning. How wonderful it is to be here with you all. I'm Jared, married to Sarah. We've just come from Huddersfield where we live, so not awfully far. And uh, we are OMF's representatives for the north of England. And it's uh, a real privilege to be able to come this morning and to share from God's word. Let's just pray as we as we come to the text. Let's pray together. Our Father. What a joy to be able to call you Father. What a privilege to hold in our hands your word. Lord, what a, what a thing it is to be able to pray with confidence that you will pour out now your Holy Spirit upon all of us, that we might hear and see Jesus, and that he would be exalted in our lives and in our communities And indeed to the ends of the earth. Amen. I was at a meeting a few days ago um, in Leeds, actually, and we were being encouraged to think about beauty, to think about, particularly about beauty in music. And we were given two pieces of music to listen to and to say which one we preferred. Now, the first was this beautiful. Gentle, harmonious, peaceful, classical piece. And the second one was a discordant clash of loud noise that was really jarring. Which one was beautiful? The choice, to me, seemed entirely obvious. And yet, half of the room preferred the second one. I thought they were joking. I couldn't believe it. Half the room preferred what I thought was a discordant noise. Two options had been presented to us. It was absolutely clear to me what the right choice was. And yet others disagreed. In the passage we've just read, I've also always thought that the choice before the crowd on that day was equally obvious. On the one hand, Jesus A much-loved rabbi, teacher, healer, a peaceful, seemingly harmless, poor man from Galilee. And on the other, Barabbas. Even his name sounds harsh. Barabbas, a violent, murderous, dangerous local criminal. Surely the choice is obvious. But the crowd choose Barabbas. Surely the only way the crowd could choose Barabbas was that they were manipulated and and persuaded by the priests and the elders like we read. But that seemed like a big task, to persuade people to vote for this guy. However, when we take a closer look at the text, there's actually a lot more going on than first appears. And maybe, just maybe, the choice wasn't as obvious as it first seems to us. Certainly, something unexpected is going on here in this text because it results in a scandalous substitution of Jesus for Barabbas. I want to look at the passage through the eyes of four different participants. Pilate, priests and elders, the crowd, and finally Jesus and Barabbas themselves. So first up, Pilate, the Roman governor. He's got a problem the Jewish rabbis been presented to him. All sorts of accusations being targeted at him in verse 12. But Pilate knows the Jewish leaders are trying to get rid of Jesus out of envy. The text tells us that in verse 18. It's because of envy they've handed him over. Pilate also knows that Jesus is actually quite popular with the people. He would have had spies out the weekend before on Palm Sunday and would have heard about the crowds declaring Hosanna as this Jesus enters Jerusalem. He's kind of popular with the people. I think Pilate finds this obscure Galilean rabbi intriguing, absolutely intriguing. I mean, in verse 14, why, why doesn't he answer any of the charges brought against him. Does he not know he faces death? But Jesus says almost nothing throughout all these charges. And then this this dream that his wife has interrupts him. Can you imagine? He's sitting on the governor's seat. And somehow his wife is so disturbed by the dream, she disturbs due process of the court and sends somebody in to tell her husband she's had a dream. Can you imagine that? The the high court judge sitting there in Leeds is disturbed by somebody coming, oh, your wife's had a dream. I mean, it's just, it's. but dreams in those days were so significant and the dream that this wife has had contributes to Pilate's judgment that this man actually is innocent. And Pilate, Is trying to set Jesus free. He's trying to find a way to set Jesus free. And he presents what is an obvious choice to the crowd. And the crowd shockingly choose Barabbas. So Pilate tries to get a reduced sentence. That's why he goes on in verse 23 to say, why? What crimes he committed. He's trying to reduce the sentence. But then the crowd insists on crucifixion, and Pilate demonstrates his weakness, tries to wash his hands of responsibility, gives in to the people, and hands Jesus over to be flogged and crucified. The priests and the elders, the second group, well, they've got an agenda. They want to get rid of this troublesome rabbi. They've already accused him in the Sanhedrin with false witnesses of all sorts of things. And now they're trying, they're actually manipulating Pilate. John's gospel accounts shows much more of this where they threatened Pilate himself saying, you're going to be guilty of treason, Pilate, if you don't get rid of him. Because this man has said he's a king and we have no king but Caesar If you let him go, they say in John's gospel, you're no friend of Caesar. They're manipulating the Roman state. And these these priests and elders stir up the crowd into a riot, which would be bad for Pilate. A riot is going to sit on Pilate's head as the governor. And so notice the priests and the elders persuade the crowd in verse 20. To ask for Barabbas, the notorious criminal, but also to demand crucifixion. They persuade the crowd to both ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus destroyed, is the word used, to destroy Jesus. The Jewish leaders demand that a Jewish rabbi be executed by the hated Roman state. How low! can you go? How low could sin bring these priests and elders? Third group, the crowd. This Jerusalem crowd, well, they're here for the governor's custom of releasing a prisoner to the crowd. But we need to understand a bit more about who Barabbas was in their eyes. Barabbas was in prison for leading an insurrection, an uprising, against Rome according to Luke. John's gospel tells us he's taken part in a rebellion against Rome. Mark's gospel tells us he's in prison with other insurrectionists and had committed murder during an uprising against Rome. Barabbas was very likely a Jewish zealot a freedom fighter, one who's been caught and being punished by the Romans for doing the very thing that the Jewish people wanted, to rid themselves of Rome. In some ways, a bit like their expectation of what Messiah would do, to free them from the Romans. The Jerusalem crowd might actually have been more likely to vote for their hero, one of their own, than the obscure Galilean teacher. But to be sure, the priests and the elders are at work persuading the crowd not to waver, but also to demand death for Jesus. This crowd is probably a different crowd from the Galilean pilgrims who've sung him into the city. This is a Jerusalem crowd gathered in the courts of Pilate. Fourth group, Jesus and Barabbas. This is where we find some very interesting parallels. First up, notice that essentially Jesus and Barabbas are both being accused of the same thing. Sedition or treason or insurrection. Jesus, because the charge that was given is, are you the king of the Jews? To which Jesus has replied, you say so. Only Caesar can be king of the Jews. Barabbas, because as we've seen, he was part of an armed uprising against Rome. So the two are being accused of very similar things. We know one is guilty and one is not. One is innocent. The second parallel is look at the names of the two. The text that was read out to us uh, spoils my shock moment where Jesus Barabbas and Jesus Messiah are used. The name Barabbas, Ba Abba is a Hebrew word that means son of a father. And it's a surname. So he would have had a first name. And there's manuscript evidence to suggest that the first name of Barabbas was was Jesus. It was the third, third most common boy's name in Palestine at the time. Jesus. So you've got Jesus Barabbas and Jesus Messiah. And the two people are presented to the crowd by Pilate You've got Jesus Barabbas or Jesus son of a father and you've got Jesus Messiah who actually is the son of the father and you might say which Jesus are the people going to choose but let's think about what's going on though from Barabbas's perspective Barabbas has been caught along with other insurrectionists, and he knows that death awaits him. Very likely, the three crosses outside Jerusalem have already been made for Barabbas and the other two. But suddenly, a chance has emerged that he might yet escape death. How? Well, the key to understanding this text is found in the very first verse we read in verse 15. It was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner to the crowd. The festival in question is the Passover. This is all taking place during Passover. Passover, the remembrance of the final plague in the Exodus. Do you remember? The night way back when Israel was being delivered from slavery in Egypt, The night when the destroying angel was sent by God to take the life of every firstborn unless they'd lived in a house where the blood of the Passover lamb had been painted on the doorframe. And this custom that Pilate refers to is actually found in Jewish law, the Mishnah. It says, They may slaughter a Passover lamb for one whom they have promised to release from prison. That's what the Jewish law book says. They may slaughter a Passover lamb for someone whom they have promised to release from prison. Passover is a festival where the Jews remember that a lamb was slain to deliver them from slavery in Egypt. And Jewish law says a lamb could be slain to release a prisoner. That's the custom. And what becomes clear to us when we understand that is that right here in this text, Barabbas is about to be rescued by the slaughter of a Passover lamb. Actually, by the death of the true Passover lamb of God. That's what's about to take place. And the name Jesus means he saves. One of these Jesuses, is going to save the other from physical death. Jesus' Messiah is willingly going to the cross. He's probably even going to be hung on the actual cross intended for Barabbas, with Barabbas' co-rebels crucified either side of him. Jesus' Messiah substituted in place of Jesus' Barabbas. The innocent one willingly taking the place of the guilty, one son of a father being saved by the true son of the father. It's a beautiful parallel contrast, but it's a scandalous substitution of an innocent man for a criminal. But beyond the interest of the parallels, there's something even more powerful for you and I today. More important than seeing the echo of a Passover story in this historical account. Because what's taking place on that day is a physical enactment of a spiritual reality. We like to think maybe we're sitting in the crowd and we're trying to decide which Jesus we're going to choose. We're thinking, oh, I'd have voted for Jesus Messiah. We're not to think of ourselves as in the crowd. We stand in the place of Barabbas. We stand in the place of Barabbas. That's who we are in this story. We're Barabbas. Now, I know we don't consider ourselves criminals or rebels or insurrectionists, but we are all sinners. We all fall short of the perfect standard that God sets. And the consequence of falling short of God's standard is indicated by what Barabbas is about to face. Death. That's the wages of sin, the results of sin. Death. But worse than physical death that Barabbas is facing. We all face eternal spiritual death. A death we all deserve To die. Every single one of us in this room this morning needs a substitute, needs the true Passover lamb. Jesus, the one who saves, the one who willingly laid down his life for you, for me. Because Jesus is not just a physical substitute for Barabbas on that day, he died my death and your death that day at a deeply spiritual level when we come to know and trust in this true jesus messiah we enter into the fullness of the eternal life that he alone can bring and we can say like the apostle paul said i've been crucified with christ and now i no longer live but christ lives in me That's the scandalous substitution for you and I. He died in our place. All of us. And that's incredibly good news. It's immensely exciting. And it's such a privilege that you all, we all have heard this gospel, this good news. We had an opportunity at some point in our past at hearing about all that Jesus Messiah has done, And although we live in a land where the church seems to be in decline, every one of us in this building this morning has heard the good news about Jesus and has actually been entrusted with this good news to pass on. We've all got a work to do at sharing this message of salvation with our neighbors, with our friends, with our family here in Ossett. And I want to praise God this morning for each one of you, because Osset is blessed that you live here. If you live in Osset, wherever you live, wherever you live, that place is blessed because you're there. You are a witness to Jesus. People are privileged to have you close by, to pray for them and speak to them of Jesus. You're blessed to have churches where the message of salvation is proclaimed. Because as I close this morning, I need you to know that in our world today, there are billions of people who will never have the opportunity that your neighbors have to live in a place where there's 60 or 70 people passionate about Jesus. People who will never meet a Christian their entire life will never encounter a Bible their entire life. And there's no church within hundreds of miles of where they live. Did you know, statistics show, that 86% of all Muslims, Buddhists, and Hindus will die having never met a Christian or heard the gospel about Jesus? 86%. And OMF and many other mission agencies beside, we exist to send workers to places where there are just not enough Christians to effectively share the good news with their neighbors. And Japan is one of many places like that. I am so thankful to God for you as a church coming into this partnership with OMF to send Adam to share the good news about Jesus in partnership with many others, including the small Japanese church. And I pray that as we pray for him, and as we pray for the Japanese people, that God would move in our hearts a real, a real burden of compassion for all the peoples, not just of East Asia, but of the world. That we would see in our day more workers being moved and called to go out short-term and long-term with this good news. Mission these days has totally changed. It's no longer from the West to the rest. That went years ago. We're part of a global church that sends everywhere. But we're part of a church that's global. We still send as well as welcome. So pray for Adam. Pray for other mission partners that you have. Pray for each other in the daily mission task that God has entrusted to you, that all our friends, family, and neighbors here in Osset, across Yorkshire, across Britain, to the ends of the earth, would have a chance of hearing about Jesus, the true Son of the Father, the one who willingly gave up his life so that we in him could live. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for this glorious gospel. Thank you, Lord, that those have received this gospel and it's transformed our lives. Lord, we thank you that, that you've done that for us. But Lord, we're so burdened. For the many around us who don't know, who don't hear, who've heard and rejected. We pray that you would move in our hearts, Lord, a passion for you that overwhelms us and that overflows from us to others around us. Help us prayerfully, prayerfully to be your witnesses just where you've placed us today. But help us, Lord, to to deepen our concern for your world, to pray for your church in your world, and to pray for those people in the world where there is no church. Father, help us to know how you want us to pray and encourage our faith as we see people in Japan coming to faith in Jesus Christ because, Lord, we've been part of sending people like Adam to that great land. And do it for the glory of your own name, Lord God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.